This is the fifth training podcast of 10, brought to you by Health Education England, how to implement lived experience. Module five, commissioners and management and transition into management structure and following the ethos. Also the impact of service provision with peer support. Brought to you with Kevin Heffernan and Neelam Butts. So how are you guys? All good, thank you. Yeah, brilliant, thank you. Yeah, listen, I'm really glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, I mean, the last podcast we did, it was talking about slow transitions and caseloads and about employment of people with lived experience. So I really want to get your two's feel on how that has impacted the service. So before we start, could we just get some context on what you do? Yeah, so um, my name's Neelan. I'm a service manager within the NHS for a liaison and diversion team. Hi, my name's Kevin. Uh, I'm an NHS England commissioner and have had commissioning responsibilities for implementing lived experience in liaison and diversion. Brilliant. So with regards to employment of people with lived experience, when did that first start for the Trust and Allende? It was, um, it was a conversation had about how could we the best, how could we be the best that we could possibly be. And there was a view at the time that um, this was about formulating a team that had as many different perspectives as we could bring together in a workforce. And one of the perspectives that was missing um, from the team at that moment was the voice of lived experience. So there was a commitment by everyone involved with the service at the time to say, let's introduce something that could reach out to some of our most vulnerable and difficult to engage, where those workers could have a completely different dialogue and hopefully a very different narrative as outcomes for individuals. I think what we saw as quite important was the fact that we wanted a specific type of lived experience that wasn't just limited to one kind of need. So we wanted the focus to be on criminal justice, mental health, and if there was any social or other vulnerabilities as well. So we wanted someone who had experienced a variety of things really, which is one of the reasons why we looked at uh, third sector organisations rather than keeping it within an NHS trust. So if I can add to that from a commissioning uh, perspective, that I think we've got many NHS organisations that have a really good history of employing people with vulnerabilities. Mm. For example, mental health service users. The added complexity of wanting someone to have a criminal justice background meant that that was problematic for some human resource departments because of DBS checks. So that was, as Mm. Neelam said, the reason that we decided to reach out to the third sector to look at how we could develop and implement the model. And do you feel the impact, I mean, how do you feel the impact has been of having people with lived experience within the sector? I think it's been a massive impact, if I'm honest. We were one of the first services to have people with lived experience through a third sector organisation in terms of developing our outreach service and how we engage with people in whether it's in police custody in the community it had a massive immediate impact because straight away people were able to kind of pick up on actually who are these people what are they doing here and you know how have they got there 
and it's all those questions and that might have been the thing that's made people want to talk to us yes. whereas before if we're going in and we're introducing ourselves as professionals that might be the barrier in itself so from an engagement perspective it was kind of um, an impact straight away and our engagement rates also went up on the back that. of that yeah i mean as, as neilam said i think there's been um, a really obvious impact in the outcome of our ability to connect with individuals and individuals who historically may have said no to practitioners. And I think that that then in turn has an impact for practitioners because they really see and value the fact that having a colleague who can support them to have a different dialogue yeah. is, is actually improving the quality of the work that we do by being able to connect with very difficult individuals and then there's been um, the layer of how the impact has affected other agencies within the pathway. So for police colleagues, for example, who may have lost a bit of hope and don't have the optimism that things can change, they saw the impact of lived experience workers not only having roles where police colleagues could see this was an individual that I knew 10 years ago that was getting in trouble. But also, I think they've very much seen um, the impact that lived experience workers have had on that cohort of difficult and um, mm. hard to engage yeah. individuals. And I think one of the things that we never planned for, but actually worked out really well, is having people with lived experience then actually deliver training to police officers, custody staff, other professionals to kind okay. of raise the profile of services and how important it is. So to even have. broadening the remit of what you originally set out, yeah. they've actually added value. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds great. I mean Neil, I know that you started out as a practitioner yourself yeah. and have moved up yeah. into management. Have you found that, you know, the service that lived experience employees are actually bringing its felt throughout the system? Is there any change from going from a practitioner to a manager? I think for me, because I was employed as a practitioner when all this kind of started and we started employing people with lived experience, for me personally, it has followed through. But then I think it's been made easier because it was something that I believed in from day one. Whether that's because I've got experience of family members that have been through similar situations where I was more open to it in comparison to maybe someone who didn't have that experience, I, I couldn't say. But what I can say is the whole staff team just really bought into it straight away. There was never any objection or any questions because it's a big thing that we were trying to do and trying to achieve. Yeah. So naturally, you'd expect some kind of, oh, what's or buts or yeah. ifs. But we actually never had any of that, which was, thinking back now, is a bit strange, really, that we didn't. But actually, everyone just kind of thought, actually yes what this makes perfect sense you touched on something earlier with me about saying that it's almost ingrained so it's part yeah. of the culture of the service yeah. so i just yeah. wanted to know a bit more about yeah. that as in what is yeah. the culture of the service and i think that comes back to when we first started as a service there was five and now there's kind of 30 plus people now from the original five we've always worked with that kind of belief and culture that actually we need to have more lived experience embedded in this how can we enhance liaison and diversion or any service you know to offer something more to vulnerable people and get them engaged now that culture has kind of fed through right through from our interview processes you know we have people with lived experience on the panel 
we'll have people with lived experience and teaching them about how we shortlist and how we recruit. And they're really, really involved right from the beginning, right up to selection process of candidates. You know, lived experience is a massive voice. And that's something that even candidates that then go on to take jobs with us have commented on, that actually they've never experienced that anywhere else and the value in that. And I think they know straight away that actually this service is all about kind of lived experience as well as X, Y and Z. And that's where I think it starts. Because what I think would be the wrong way to do it is employ someone and then try to teach that ethos afterwards, where if they already come in and thinking it, I think that's half the job done because they already know what to expect. Yeah, um, as Neil was talking then, I was kind of reflecting on the last three years. And three years ago, the particular service that we're involved in had no people with lived experience um, within the makeup of the team. So it's that new? Yeah. Wow. Um, in the next few weeks, you know, Neil mentions now a, a workforce of just over 30, and seven people will be employed within that service who have a lived experience. And I think that is an incredible growth in building a really unique perspective to make us the best that we can be. And I think we're really proud of the value base and the culture that has developed through away days, through Mm. training sessions where People are given opportunities to understand the real importance of this being introduced. Does that um, go out? Because obviously you do see in employment a lot of ticking boxes. Mm. So, I mean, you, you see it every day, there's nepotism, there's, you know, if mm. we need to have a certain amount of people just so we can tick these boxes. How do you make sure that you are maintaining that ethos and it is not just tokenism, okay, we're just doing this, so we can say we're doing it. How do you guys ensure that that's happening? I think for us locally, it's about all our staff with lived experience bring something to the table, whether it's an idea or something that they want to develop. And then we've let them develop that and run with it, whether it's, you know, Kevin providing money to run a pathway or set up a new project, or if there's some process in custody that they don't agree with, we'll work with them to improve that process. So it's about actually really valuing their opinion and really listening to what they've got to say because you can't teach that in on a five year uni course or you can't teach that on work experience. You know, they've lived it, so why would we not listen to them? And I think that then gives them the confidence to speak up more and want to make changes, which then kind of feeds throughout the system then. I think for me, how you sustain it and how you encourage its growth is that people can see even from a commissioning perspective that when we hear the voice of the lived experience cohort that if they advise us and if they think that there are things that we should do that would strengthen and enhance our work that we make a commitment to do that and one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years is that the lived experience did come to both Neelam and myself to identify just a little thing that we could do differently, that if we all collaborated, we could make it happen, which was kind of outside the scope of um, the service. Mm. And what we've done is we've introduced that over the last um, 18 months, um, which is now a project that I think will help colleagues nationally understand how having um, lived experience voice within a service 
can not only um, inspire individuals, teams, other agencies, but we can change services if we mm. listen carefully. And that's how we sustain it. Mm. Sounds brilliant. In regards of employment, of lived experience. I know you said earlier, you touched on that there were barriers because this is brand new. Mm. Was it, I know you said the whole team were on, you know, board, but there's still policy in place. Yeah, so yeah. was it a real struggle to get that done? Because I understand people with vulnerabilities or mental health issues, it's easy, but when you're talking about people with criminal records yeah. and BBSs, yeah. how hard was that mm. process? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say it was all hunky-dory because when you submit like 10 pages of DBS kind of submission, there's going to be questions that are asked. Um, but I think what really made a difference is me as a manager really fighting for why this is the right thing to do. Um, you know, part of the process on HR would be, you know, justifying that, yes, they might have X, Y and Z, but you know, ABC is what we can achieve by actually having them as part of our service um, and really speaking up for their, on their behalf, really. Um, and what the candidates were really, really open to do as well themselves was write personal statements, a bit about context about their life and yeah. their, whether it's criminal background or whatever it is, about how they came to be where they are now. And I think that is a massive ask, but also a massive help um, for them. And I think that process, it takes a lot of time, which is the annoying thing. But actually, once you get through all the red tape and once you've done it once, it then became easier. Yeah. Mm. I guess, as um, we mentioned earlier on in the podcast, that at the beginning of the journey, we had to reach out into the third sector mm. because the NHS providers at the time didn't have the structures in place to employ people with the complexity of a vulnerability and criminal justice. The challenge with kindness from me as a commissioner, back to the organisations, was once we introduced lived experience and those individuals demonstrated their effectiveness and the quality of their work, when other opportunities came within the trust, the challenge with kindness was okay, now find a way of employing those individuals. Mm. And that's why I think we're really proud because mm. all of our original lived experience workers now have substantive posts within the NHS organisation. And in terms of lived experience in itself, is there a remit for that? Like, do you guys have to say, if you've had lived experience in certain aspects, then you wouldn't be looking to employ? Or can you, is it just based on how you've changed, what you're looking mm -hmm. to do with your future and generally giving people a second chance and helping them become a productive member of society? I think there are kind of certain situations where we would need to look at that because we are an old age service, so we can be working with someone as young as 10. So maybe certain of kind course, of you yes. know, sexual offences, things like that, we'd have to look into because it's about not only protecting the individual with the lived experience, but also the service user group that we're gonna be working with. But it would be a case of having a conversation and seeing actually what's what's happened, what's gone on, where they're at now, and then making an informed decision rather than just saying kind of a blanket no. Because no, yeah. something could have been 50 years ago that isn't relevant now. Mm. Yeah, and I, I, I guess for me, it's all about having the right kind of lived experience, mm. which means that you know, we want people who are at a point in their life that they feel confident and comfortable to use their experiences in a positive way. For some, 
that moment might not be today and we have to ensure that we don't put them mm. in a position that they're not quite ready for so mm. I think the whole issue of recruitment is yeah. a really important one yeah I think part of what also helps with that as well is the support that you're giving to people with lived experience through the recruitment process say we do take someone on board who has got a criminal past but also has mental health or substance misuse issues we need to be very mindful through the recruitment process of is actually what support do they have and what support we can offer them to sustain them being able yes. to work successfully from them actually so someone with lived experience applying for a job mm -hmm. and actually getting employment now we talked previously about how important that training was but how important is it then for the management to support them going through that i mean from a commissioning point of view is legacy something that you're looking into so when you're looking at these big policy changing things you know they're doing great for the nhs are you looking for it so that it's a short term or a long term plan that wants to be rolled out across the nation okay legacy i'll go back to what i started with actually how can we the, be the best that we can be and i think the legacy for me is that we've been involved in a project that has demonstrated the real success at so many different levels. The success of what we've achieved, which was externally evaluated, has led to a national commitment. So for example, in the world of liaison and diversion, all teams are now um, obligated to introduce lived experience roles. This is the end of the fifth training podcast of 10, brought to you by Health and Education England, how to implement lived experience. Thanks guys. All right. Thank you.